Father in heaven, we, we thank you again for this most holy day and for this opportunity for us to come together and uh, to praise you and to sing praises and, uh, uh, Lord, to, to ask uh, humbly for your help, which is what we do now. We thank you so much for uh, the promises that you give to us. And, Lord, may our faith be increased. Uh, we believe, but, Lord, help our, our unbelief. As we come before you, we, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his life of righteousness and, and his example to us. And we pray, Lord, for grace to, to live a better life, to, to live as you would wish us to live, to overcome sin in our life and to make changes in our, in our individual walk and in our families and, and uh, changes that uh, will bring glory to you and, and that our joy may be full, as you you've said. Uh, please, Lord, remove the guilt from our hearts and may we start afresh right now, forgetting the past, and may we uh, work towards the mark of that high goal that you have for each and every one of us. Uh, Lord, there are some prayer requests this morning. We have a prayer list and we pray that you be with each and every one on our lists. We also, Lord, lift up Christine and her, her church in uh, California. They're doing some... Uh, um, health outreach projects. Uh, there's a fair that uh, is this month. We pray that you be near them and they may reach souls with the truth of health reform and that they may come to know Jesus through that. Uh, Teresa uh, asks that we pray for each other and, and Lord, that we may lift each other up. And she's also looking for uh, employment. And Lord, we pray that you will bless her to that end, uh, that she may be able to uh, sustain uh, her uh, herself and uh, and to help fund uh, the gospel work. Um, we've got news last night, Lord, of Luke who is in the hospital, uh, and we pray that you'll be very near to him, that he may come to see you more fully and clearly as you heal him. Uh, Lord, uh, I was contacted this week with an opportunity to plan uh, some meetings for uh, next year. I pray, Lord, that your hand will be in that as uh, we work together in making that a reality. And also, Lord, I lift up uh, the members in the church in Battle Creek as we come uh, together in, in a better organization. Uh, and uh, the goals that we have set, I pray that you'll bless us. And, and those that I'm studying with, um, uh, those who have requested free books and Bible studies, I pray, Lord, that you'd be very near to them. And uh, help us to work out the differences uh, between ourselves, Lord, uh, that we may indeed be one, as Jesus prayed for. And that is my prayer today, Lord, and I ask that you will hear it and thank you for answering it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I want to talk with you today. Uh, to, this morning we were studying about Paul's work in Corinth and how he needed to discern, and he, he did, uh, the principle of discerning his, his audience and being tactful in how to reach them. And he was impressed to begin with the ABCs, the alphabet of the gospel. And I'm going to kind of talk about that a bit today. Um, I've entitled our study, Life's Uncertainty. And uh, each one of us has our own experiences with that. Um, we've had different things happen in our life that were unexpected. You know, uh, someone said to me uh, just the other day, boy, it seems like uh, you're getting piled on here recently. Um, and... Uh, that happens. Sometimes we have peaks and sometimes we have valleys, don't we? Isn't that your experience? Sometimes we have peaks in our life and sometimes we have valleys. And these are all uh, allowed by God for particular reasons to help us to, to see Him in a better light and to be drawn closer to Him and, and sometimes to understand ourselves a little bit better. 
Um, you know, um, sometimes we go through these situations to know who we truly are. I've learned some new things about myself in the past um, six weeks uh, that I didn't know. And uh, I can only praise God for it, though I'm still dealing with some of those things. But isn't it true that when you lay your head on the pillow at night and you close your eyes, uh, maybe I speak for myself, I, I sleep in faith that I'll awaken the next morning. And I, I think it's safe to say most of us are that way, aren't we? We didn't believe that when we go to sleep that we're going to be awake the next day. You know, we close our eyes with the assumption that all is going to be well as we sleep. And when we sleep, we're kind of out of it, aren't we, Alex? We don't know what's going on. We're asleep. But we have that faith. We don't expect to be awakened at 4 o'clock in the morning with a life or death call for help. I mean, do you go to bed thinking that every night? And so, you know, a month or so ago, we mourned the loss of my father. And when I saw my father that morning, my mind was screaming, No, it can't be so. And no matter how much I prayed as I worked uh, to revive him, the reality was that it was so. I hoped against hope that a miracle would happen. You know, we've had a lot of miracles in uh, our life, Deb and I. And uh, I was hoping that there would be a miracle. Paramedics took over and worked to revive Dad in the living room. I thought about that. You know, the living room, isn't that where people are supposed to live? But he was gone. It just sinks in, you know, that there's nothing in life that's foolproof. At least nothing mechanical, maybe I should say. But there are no supermen. No matter how many movies we watch, right? There are no supermen. There are no super agents. It takes but one projectile through the heart or the bursting of one vessel in the brain or one drunk driver swerving into our lane at the wrong time and all is wiped out. Nothing in this life is foolproof. You know, our country's forefathers recognized that fact. I've always been a historian. I've been amazed. You know, this is a country of prophecy, and we should study history, study how this country came to be. But our country's forefathers recognized that nothing is foolproof. That's why George Washington prayed before going into battle, or before he led out in Congress. He did not pray because it was expected of him. He prayed because he knew he needed God's help. He was totally dependent upon God. And thus he declared a national day of fasting and prayer as the president of this country. Our forefathers recognized that there are too many things that can and will go wrong. And without God's special intervention, all our plans and accomplishments will one day perish. How old are you, Alex? Fifteen. Do you ever think that someday you'll be my age? That probably never crosses your mind, does it? He tries not to. He tries not to. Thank you. Yeah, well, when I was fifteen, I never thought about that either. Um, But one day, everything in our life will come to an end. All our accomplishments will be over with. And the forefathers knew this. That's why in the Constitution they specifically stated that we are one nation under God. Not under the President. Not one nation under Congress. But under God. They knew that we would only remain a nation as long as God was in control. And that when He ceased to bless, the nation would begin to suffer reverses until it would cease to exist. And we kind of see those things today, don't we? I'll tell you this, this isn't the same country that I grew up in. There have been some very drastic changes. We're seeing an increase in calamities and tragedies, and the world knows that something's not right. 
something is going on and they don't know what to do or where to go for an answer. You know, one of the kind of neat things about these social networks and about Facebook is I've been able to contact old schoolmates that I haven't seen in 30 years. And I look at Facebook as not only I'm able to contact and stay in touch with family, but as evangelism. That's my probably my main object is to reach people. And one of my old schoolmates is an atheist, <laughs> which is rather remarkable to me. And a frequent question that they ask is, if there really is a God, why does He allow such calamities and tragedies to happen? And at times, I don't deal with atheists too often, but at times my response has been, why should God protect you from disaster? I mean, you don't even believe in Him. Nor are you following what He says. And they kind of go, oh. <laughs> you know. The fact is, friends, that God cannot bless sin. And so when people continue to disbelieve and disobey, they reap what is sown. Not because God has left them, but because they deny His help. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, Matthew 24, all the, these sayings of Jesus about the end of time can bring varied emotions to us. Uh, it can maybe make us fearful. Luke chapter 21, I want to read verses 9 to 11. Here Jesus, He says, But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. Why would He say be not terrified? Because the natural thing is to be terrified, isn't it? What? Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 9 to 11. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. <laughs> so, there is that natural reaction, isn't there? Jesus said, don't be terrified. Be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. Then said He unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. We're starting to see some of the pains of this in the world, aren't we? More and more and more, you know that natural disasters have increased incredibly since we were younger. Those who are, are older out there, and even some of our young people. You should have be able to see an increase in such things. Now let me tell you, before Jesus comes, there will yet be more wars and more earthquakes and famines and pestilences, disasters by land, sea, air, and and space. Jesus is telling us these things to prepare us. But He tells us not to be terrified. From Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 408, that would be 6T408, let me share this with you. She says, The restraining Spirit of God is even now being withdrawn from the world. Hurricanes, storms, tempests, fire and flood, disasters by sea and land follow each other in quick succession. Science seeks to explain all these. The signs thickening around us telling of the near approach of the Son of God are attributed to any other than the true cause. Men cannot discern the sentinel angels restraining the four winds that they shall not blow until the servants of God are sealed. But when God shall bid His angels loose the winds, there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. And so again, I ask you, beloved, as you review the news over the past few years, has there been a continuing increase in disasters and tragedies? I think you'd be very hard-pressed to say no. <laughs> When will people learn that we need God to survive? 
It's amazing, really. In Daniel 4, we have the incident of Nebuchadnezzar who had lifted himself in such high esteem that he denied God. And that's a real danger. Verse 29 says, At the end of twelve months he walked into the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. There is nothing sure or stable in this life without God's direct protection and care. Not your marriage, your money, your children, your health, your church, your nation, and certainly not yourself. Nothing. What we need, friends, is to humble ourselves before God and invite Him into our lives. You know, there's something about death that seems so permanent. Because when someone dies, they're gone. We can wish other things, but the reality is they're gone. Our dog died last week. Somehow he gotten away from home and and we're still trying to figure out how he ended up where he was and he he got hit by a, a vehicle and he was killed. And no matter how much we remember him and wish that it wasn't so, there is a permanence to it. It is the great to me it is the great reality checker. you know, one day there will be no more death. And that's something to look forward to, isn't it? We need to realize our total dependence upon God. You know, everything may be going right in your life. Everything may have gone right for a long time, but it only takes a moment to turn everything around. And if God is not in control of your life, That moment's coming. It'll come at a most unexpected time. It'll come suddenly. And in this world, living is one of the is one of life's uncertainties. I want you to think about that. Living is one of life's uncertainties in this world. My father passed away suddenly Sabbath morning, August 20th, 2011, and we cry for him still. But did you know that before you and I go to sleep tonight, approximately 150,000 people on planet Earth will have died today? 150,000 people. And we don't know, we don't know them. You know, but every one of them was special. Most of them had families, I'm sure. Mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters, spouses who are even now mourning them. Over 150,000 people each day. This earth is a disaster. It's time to get right with God, don't you think? It's time to do the work He's given us to do. It's time for Jesus to come. I'm talking about a situation that Jesus talked about. You know, they would often come to Jesus with this news or that news. And here's a scenario where that was the case. Luke chapter 13 and verse 1 says, There were present at that season some that told Him, that's Jesus, of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. This is the only particular place in the Bible where this is spoken of, by the way. Here, here Jesus is and He has these people who come. You know how news travels, right? Today. Travels very quickly, doesn't it? 
something happens on the other side of the world and, and it's spread over to this country within a matter of minutes, just moments. But it was a lot of word of mouth back then. So here we have something happen and this news come to him, comes to Jesus. And he's, it's about these Galileans. You know, one time these Galileans, they were peaceably worshiping in Jerusalem and they were offering their sacrifices. And Pilate sent his soldiers in to cut them up and throw them on top of their sacrifices and their blood mixed together with the sacrifices. What an incredible catastrophe. And right there within the church. Would public worship ever be the same again? I mean, can you imagine? Why did Pilate slaughter them? Had they committed some incredible sin so that God was punishing them? You know, that was the belief back then. If something like that were to happen to you, well, you must have been one incredible sinner in God's eyes and you were being punished. Let me read you something out of Christ's Object Lessons. Page 212. That'd be C-O-L-212. Some of the measures of Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, had given offense to the people. On one occasion, his soldiers had even invaded the precincts of the temple and had cut down some Galilean pilgrims in the very act of slaying their sacrifices. The Jews regarded calamity... Now get this, see, this is a a point. The Jews regarded calamity as a judgment on account of the sufferer's sin. And those who told of this act of violence did so with secret satisfaction. In their view, their own good fortune proved them to be much better and therefore more favored by God than were these Galileans. They expected to hear from Jesus words of condemnation for these men who they doubted not richly deserved their punishment. You know, you get on some of these these uh, religious broadcast stations on television and, and when some things happen to people, they say, and, and in many instances, maybe rightly so, they are the judgments of God. It's more of God removing His, being forced to remove His mercy than judgments. But what gets me is the satisfaction that these ministers and such take in the destruction of human life. I want you to notice what Jesus said after hearing about this slaughter. Luke 13, verses 2 and 3, He says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Wow, that's pretty harsh words, don't you think? Here they get this news. Pilate came in and slaughtered these Galileans. Well, they really must have deserved it. And I'm still alive, so I must be much better than those Galileans. Thank God it wasn't me. I'm in pretty good shape. And Jesus is saying, you think that they were worse than all the other Galileans who are alive? You think you're you're better? No, you need to repent or you're likewise going to perish. You see, these Galileans had not sinned any more than any of the other people. Maybe less. But God was beginning to withdraw His protection from Jerusalem and disasters were beginning to happen. Let's look at the next two verses. Jesus goes on, He says, Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Salem fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What did Jesus mean when He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish? What do you think He meant by that? Do we need to repent? How do we view ourselves? How do we view ourselves in relation to God? That's pretty important, isn't it? Jesus could see down the stream of time when God's protection would be completely withdrawn from Jerusalem and 
and when all within, except those who had accepted Christ and had fled from the city when Jesus told them to, would be murdered as those Galileans were by the Roman soldiers. He could see that. God's protecting hand was being withdrawn from the city. They had rejected the only true God and they followed a God of their own choosing. And Jesus said, repent. Repent. When's the last time you really heard that word? Don't hear it very much today, do you? Repent. A few people make cartoons about you know, people holding up the signs that say, Repent. But, you know, we're living in a day and age when it's more popular to praise people than to call people to repentance. Calls to repentance are seldom heard anymore, but that's what's needed today, beloved. At least that's what the Bible says is needed today. And not just in the world, but also in the church. Because as a people, we've apostatized from the truth in Jesus. We've carried on a form of religion without the power. We may have, some of us anyway, kept the Sabbath and paid our tithe, but we have not all found Jesus. Now, these outward things, uh, Jesus said, we should do. Of course, we're to do them but we're not to leave the other undone. That's the way he puts it. And we're in a sad condition. We're actually in a fatal condition unless we repent. In Revelation chapter 3, and we're very familiar with this as Adventists. Most of us are. If we're not, it'd make me wonder. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 says, And unto the angel, the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. I think it's time for us to be on fire for the Lord, isn't it? To be hot. That's not something that is just nice to be. That's what God asks us to be. That's what God requires us to be. And so we must spend time with Jesus every day if that's to be the case. And we must overcome the sins that Jesus points out to us that's in our life. Like I was saying, to to be lukewarm is fatal. It's absolutely fatal. The Bible says that God's going to destroy. You realize this? God is going to destroy every Christian that remains lukewarm. You know, the lukewarm Christian is not barely going to make it into heaven. Some people think that. I used to think that. They're not going to get in at all. It's time that Jesus becomes our all in all. It's time that He is the all-absorbing theme of our life. Not football, not the internet, not television programs or movies, not secular music, not making money, whatever it is that consumes our life. I have some simple questions for you to seriously consider, and believe me, I consider them myself too. Do you spend more time reading the Bible or surfing the net? Do you spend more time tuned into movies or in prayer? What is molding your life? Where do your thoughts run in your leisure times? Someday while people are eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage and life seems to be progressing, you know, an explosion is going to take place. The sky is suddenly going to rip apart. And whole islands are going to be moved out of their places and streams are going to cease to flow. And the homes we've lived in are going to be ripped apart. 
Maybe you don't think about these things, but I do. Like lightning from the east, our Lord will come with thousands of holy angels and life on planet earth is suddenly going to come to a halt. And to many, it's going to be sudden, unlooked for, unexpected. And Jesus says, repent or you're going to be lost. There's going to be a people prepared for Jesus when He returns. It's what He's wanting. It's what He's working for. It's what He wants us to be. It's found in Revelation 14. The first five verses speaks about this people, a remnant. And verse 4 and 5 says, These are they which were not defiled with women. Of course, that's symbolic. We know that means fallen churches. For they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever He goeth. They follow the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Alex, you know who the Lamb is there? Us. No, these are they. There's a people that follow the Lamb. Jesus. Jesus. You remember when Jesus came up to John the Baptist? And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is that Lamb. That's what's being spoken of here. So he's going to have a people who follow him wherever he goes. Now we know he's in heaven, but he's doing ministry work in heaven. So they're going to be such in tune with him that they know exactly what he's doing at what particular moment. Because he's laid it out in his word. It says, These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile, no deceit, no falseness. They don't bear a false life. They are what they are. That's one thing that's always kind of amazed me about the internet. You can hide behind it. You can be somebody that you really aren't. That happens all the time, doesn't it? How many times have they they caught child molesters who were pretending to be someone they weren't? We've got to be very careful, friends, with how we deal with the internet. We can... We can hide behind it. We can bear false witness. Here are people that have no guile. For they are without fault before the throne of God. You know, I'm so glad that the sleep that took my dad is not a final sleep. He'll be raised again. That's my hope. Isn't that the blessed hope? But life goes on. At least for a while longer. But as soon as the three angels of Revelation 14 with the everlasting gospel are finished, when that work is finished, then it ends. Isn't it time to call a time out before then? To look and to listen and to follow God? Now's the time to repent and be ready now. You see, because in this world, life is full of uncertainties. Going back to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Puke is what that word means. I will puke thee out of my mouth. I will vomit. You know, the tragedy of life is that it ends. When you go on a vacation, the vacation soon comes to an end, but you feel refreshed. You have pictures. At least you have uh, pictures in your mind, right? You have the memories. Memories are one of the most important things in life, I believe. They make us happy at times when we're down. 
They can make us laugh. They can make us cry too, can't they? Where would we be without memories? But suppose you went on a vacation and after it was through, you had total amnesia. I was thinking about this. I want you to imagine with me. Suppose you had amnesia. Even the subconscious memory of the vacation was wiped out. You had no pictures, no memory of it. You had no recollection of having been on a vacation at all. How many of you would like to go on a vacation like that? Anybody? Now suppose, I was formulating this, suppose that someone offered you a a two-week vacation anywhere in the world via a private jet or private cruise with the best accommodations, the finest food, the nicest friends, a, a private servant, a chef and a butler. And the price tag for, for this two-week vacation was $5,000, let's say. How many of you would go? Probably a little bit out of our reach. You know. But wouldn't that be a bargain, let's say, at twice the amount? However, just for today, this vacation offer is on sale for just $95. $95. Anywhere in the world. Australia, Italy, the Congo. I mean, I'm trying to think of real exotic places here. Brazil, Spain, Paris, Alaska. Maybe Jerusalem. Or maybe combination. You got two weeks. He'd go to all of them. Anywhere for just $95. How many would go? I'd go. You mean to tell me you wouldn't go? Not by myself. Well, I'm going to buy some by yourself. You're going to have friends and whatever. 95 bucks. Sure. But as, as is often the case, there is one little catch with the, bri- the bargain price. You knew it was coming, didn't you? There's a little catch. First, here's the catch. Number one could know that you'd gone. And second, after you got back, your memory of all your vacation travels would be wiped out so not even you would have any idea that you'd ever been on vacation at all. Who knows? Maybe you've already been on a vacation like that and you just can't remember. because <laughs> I don't know but now that you know the fine print at the bottom of this offer, how many would still be interested in going at that bargain price of $95? Yeah, of course, the two young guys back there who know nothing about such things. <laughs> You're not going to remember any of it. And nobody else will know anything about it either. This is the hypothetical. How do you know you got to do it? You wouldn't know that you got to do it. Whether you know you did or not, you still the bargain price. You can still but, but Tyler, you don't know that. You can sit there and say whether you know it or not, you still did it. But you don't know that. You don't know that you did it. How soon do you forget? Like right after you did it? Yeah, as soon as you're back. They could just be no, I mean, like when you're there. No, after the two weeks. Oh, after the two weeks. You know, maybe if I concentrate enough, I could sell quite a few tickets. It sounds like. What? You know. But the thinking person would say, for what? Why would I go? Why would I go? However good the vacation might be, it would soon be over, and then for what? You see, what I'm saying is, and here's my point. Boys, here's my point. It would be as though it had never happened. That's my point. Yet a lot of supposedly thinking people are taking vacations just like that. Do you know it? They're going through the vacation of life, existing for the pleasures that they can receive while here. But for what? When it's over, the memory's wiped out, and as time goes on, no one remembers that they ever existed. So what's the purpose of their life? What is the purpose of riches that perish? Yeah. What's the purpose of knowledge that vanishes? What's the purpose of hard work for things that suddenly cease to exist? 
What's the purpose of improving yourself just to vanish into thin air as though you never existed? You know, that's the question that Jesus asked. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus asked that question? Turn to Luke chapter 12. Are you still in Luke? Turn to chapter 12. Verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You can have all the insurance policies in the world. You can write up your will any way you want to. You can have all the alarm systems and security devices on your home that money can buy. But when you die... You lose it all. None of us own a thing in this life. Do you know that? Really? When you boil it all down? We only lease. We lease it from God. You might think you have a deed to your house. And we have a deed to our property here. But it's only a lease, really. And that lease runs out. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19-21, He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's pretty good advice, isn't it? Beloved, If you are lost for eternity, I want you to think about this seriously. If you are lost for eternity, your life has been a total waste. I want you to think about that. If you are lost for eternity, your life has been a total waste. It doesn't matter what accomplishments you you may have made or how rich or well thought of you were. You may have been the President of the United States. You may have been the richest person in the world. Maybe you've been a great war hero. But if you were eventually lost, what good was it? When your life ceases to exist, whatever the excuse for being lost, you might as well have never lived. And friends, that's the reality of it. That's the reality of it. You know, it's amazing to me the excuses that people can give for being lost. Essentially, that's how I've come to look at it anymore. Excuses for being lost. My parents were too strict. The preacher was boring. I've heard that before. I would have lost my job for keeping the Sabbath. I've heard that many times. The Bible's too hard to understand. It's my shopping day. Yeah, I've heard that one, haven't I? I didn't have time to study or read. Being a Christian is is no fun. You can't do anything. I've sometimes wondered if when standing before God's bar of justice, if those who have good excuses, whatever that means, <laughs> good excuses, are going to feel better about being lost than those who have poor excuses. Well, at least I'm better than you. I have better excuses. Well, you're both lost. There's but one real purpose in life, beloved, and that is to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let all other considerations vanish. It's to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I get to some real important things here. That was important. But how is this accomplished? What is the alphabet 
of the gospel. You know, Jesus plainly said in Matthew 7 that there were going to be but very few people saved. Even though a whole lot of people are going to think that they're saved, how can we make sure that we are saved? In John chapter 5, verse 24, I want you to turn there because this, this is the crux of it, really. Friends, if you want the alphabet, the foundation of salvation... Now, there's a misunderstanding of this, and I hope to clear it up. Because the devil, I mean, we have an enemy. He likes to twist things around. John 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath what? Everlasting Everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Friends, if you want the nutshell of the gospel, Jesus has given it to us right there. Two things. And in John 17, 3, which was our scripture reading, it says, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Now, that word for believe has been twisted and skewed and People have their own definitions for it. But it's a word that means to trust and commit oneself to. In the original, that's exactly what it means. Hearing is not significant unless one also believes Jesus. They trust and commit their entire life to Him. And the passage from death to life is not only a bodily transformation at some future resurrection, which is a blessed hope, but also an experience through which each one of us can continue to enjoy life right now. And this happens when you're born again. You're changed. This is what takes to be saved. This is the alphabet of the gospel. According to Jesus, this is verily. In other versions it says most assuredly. Most assuredly the way. Unless we are hearing the voice of Jesus leading us day by day and following Him, then friends, we're lost. We're on our way down the wrong path. And we need to realize the seriousness of what we spend our time on each day. See, there are so many voices out there that are wanting to grab our attention. We may be watching and doing good things, too. But if it's drowning out the voice of Jesus, it's keeping us from the kingdom. We need to get to a point where we consider our time as sacred. God has an account. We must make time to hear the voice of Jesus, friends, if we want to be saved. We must spend time with Jesus and retain Him in our thoughts throughout the day. Matthew 16, verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me, Jesus. Acts 4, verses 10 to 12. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, Even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set of naught, set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. What is that name? Jesus Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. The Savior. So I don't care that there are Millions of people that follow Billy Graham. There's only one name under heaven where you can be saved. You know, Billy Graham said that there are many ways to heaven. There's only one name, friends. We must hear the voice of Jesus. And if we're not taking the time to hear the voice of Jesus through Bible study and through prayer, we are in a lost condition. That's something we got to come to grips with. We just got to. 
And I want you to understand the two things that Jesus said we must do in order to have eternal life. Now, we understand Jesus paid the price, didn't He? Jesus paid the price for us. He died to atone for our sins. But Jesus said that we also have something to do in order to receive the gift. And friends, Jesus said it. I didn't. It wasn't me. These are the two things we've got to do. We must hear the words of Jesus and we must believe, trust and commit to God. We must not only hear, we must commit. And Jesus said that this is the secret to eternal life. It's also the reason that most people will not be saved. You know, probably 95% are too busy to hear the voice of Jesus. But even the small percent that do hear the voice of Jesus, probably 95% of those do not commit or trust what they read or hear. They don't believe God. Oh, they believe that He exists. Even the devils believe that. Isn't that what James says? Even the devils believe, but tremble. They know God exists, but they don't believe Him. They do not believe His truthfulness. They don't believe His authority. They don't believe what He says. They don't accept His words, His wisdom, or His messengers. They do not commit their life to Him to live for eternity. That's the way it was with the Jews. They read the Bible. They knew the Scriptures, but they didn't believe. In John chapter 5, verses 37 to 40, it says, And the Father Himself, which hath sent Me, hath borne witness of Me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. And ye have not His word abiding in you, for whom He hath sent Him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. And ye will not come to Me, that ye might have life. Again, the milk of salvation is two things. You must hear and believe. Again, belief isn't just a mental assent that He exists. It's a trust and a commitment to. But you know, the Jews couldn't. They didn't agree with their pride or their human logic. The leaders taught the people to reverence them instead. But Jesus claimed no human titles. Did you know that? They thought that they were pretty good, but Jesus called for repentance. God had sent His Son into the world, but God's Son did not meet with their approval. They had read and memorized the Scriptures. They could quote whole sections of it. But you know what they did? They twisted it to their own destruction and they would not believe in Him whom the Scriptures pointed to. That's why Jesus said, you search the Scriptures, but they testify of Me. And you're rejecting Me. Jesus said in John 5, verse 44, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? And see, this is what was happening in Corinth as we studied this morning, people were lifting up Paul and they were lifting up Apollos. Friends, what we, what we need today are to spend more time with the Scriptures and with the testimony of Jesus Christ, which the Bible says is the spirit of prophecy. We need to spend more time with the Scriptures. But more than that, we need to spend more time with it, I think, probably on our knees in sincere repentance, clinging to the foot of the cross. Because that's where it is. That's where salvation is. It's at the foot of the cross. If Jesus should come to earth today, would He be accepted? Would He find a place in our church or in our hearts? Or would He be left outside knocking to get in? If Jesus should come to earth today, would you receive Him? I want to tell you that Jesus is here today. Did you know that? He's here through His representative. He's here. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus gives us a promise. 
He gives us a, a mission and a promise. He says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, here's the promise, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's still here. You may not see Him, but then the Jews in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago never thought that they had met the Messiah either. But He was there. And He is here. But is He unrecognized and unaccepted? Just as He was then. In John 14... Verse 19, Jesus said, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. Ye also live. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. So who is it that will see Jesus? Christ is saying here. He who hears the words of Jesus and believes in Him. And then Jesus says, He that hath my commandments. How do you have the commandments of Jesus? Well, you read them, don't you? Isn't that Jesus speaking to us when we read the commandments? And then, by the Spirit, they're put into our minds. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He who believes what Jesus said, in him Jesus said, I will come and abide. Again, what does it require to be saved? Two things. When you really boil it all down, we must hear the words of Jesus and we must trust and commit to Him. If you were living in Jerusalem and God should choose to send His Son in the form of a humble Galilean peasant and you were expecting some royalty, would you believe? These are questions I've thought of before through time. I mean, it's easy for us to say, how is it that they didn't know that He was the Messiah? Why didn't they follow Him? Would you have back then? Many today say, oh yeah, I would have followed Him. How do you know? If you're not following Him today, you would have never followed Him back then. If you were living in the last days and God should choose a humble New England woman to be His messenger and you were expecting a German theologian, would you believe? If God should say that the seventh day of the week is holy, whereas parents and theologians had taught you that the first day of the week was sacred, would you believe God? Who would you believe? Would you believe God? If God should choose you to be a messenger of His, as He did Isaiah, to preach the Word or to witness to your neighbor, would you believe? Or would you find excuses too? Below it is time we have more confidence in the power of prayer. And I think more willing acceptance of God's answers. It's time we're willing to be led by His Spirit. It's time we have more simple apostolic faith in His Word. A simple faith. I've seen little sayings, you know, on shirts and different places. God said it, I believe it. Sometimes I wonder about the people who wear such things. Do you really? (laughs) It's time we quit reasoning away what we're told about how to treat the sick, how to choose our spouses, educate our young people, raise our children, dress modestly and behave righteously. It's time we study rightly dividing the word of truth so that we're not putting our own interpretation on it. But having honestly ascertained what God has said, it's time we simply believed and obeyed. Is that right or wrong? Is that right or wrong of me to say? And why shouldn't we believe Jesus? Why shouldn't we follow Jesus more fully? Jesus said in John fifteen eleven, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. 
Don't we want happier lives? Don't we want to be full of joy? Jesus isn't telling us these things to make us unhappy. (laughs) He wants us to be happy. But there's got to be a change. You see, it's Jesus who brings happiness to life. Friends, God loves you and I very, very much. He only wants the best for you and I. But His way may not be our way. So we're going to have, we're going to, have to have faith in Him. We're going to have to believe Him. We may think, boy, that's not going to make me very happy. But God says I'll be happier. We're going to have to exercise faith in that. Sickness may take a loved one. Are you still going to believe? God may call you out of some comfortable circumstance into some hardship. Are you still going to believe? God may strike your pride to the ground. Are you still going to believe? God may even say something that you don't agree with at all. Are you going to believe, though? John 15, 24, Jesus said, If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. They'd seen His works. They saw His life, but they hated Him and the Father. But what he's saying here is he left him without an excuse. And now that Jesus has come and revealed to us the way of salvation, you realize now you're without excuse. Our sin is is in not accepting Jesus. That's what our sin is. Who is the way, the truth, and the life. James said to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Are we hearing Jesus? Do we believe? It's two things. Like I said, life is full of uncertainty. We don't know if there will be a tomorrow for each of us. When going through the belongings of my brother who died five years ago, I came across tickets to a concert that he planned to attend. It was scheduled just two days after he was killed. My brother was certain that he was going to attend that concert. He didn't. Life is full of uncertainty. My dad went to bed August 19th with the intention of getting to church early the next morning as he was scheduled to be the greeter. He didn't make it. Life is filled with uncertainty. In the grand theme of the gospel was my brother's life a waste was my father's life a waste what about your life is it wasting away are you listening to the Holy Spirit as it pricks your heart what are you doing about it are you listening are you believing Let me share this with you. It's going to close up. The Desire of Ages, page 489. Every warning, reproof, and entreaty in the Word of God or through His messengers is a knock at the door of the heart. It is the voice of Jesus asking for entrance. With every knock unheeded, the disposition to open becomes weaker. The impressions of the Holy Spirit, if disregarded today, will not be as strong tomorrow. The heart becomes less impressible and lapses into a perilous unconsciousness of the shortness of life and of the great eternity beyond. Our condemnation in the judgment will not result from the fact that we have been in error, but from the fact that we have neglected heaven-sent opportunities for learning what is truth.
So to each of you, we're all related here. I'm pleading. Please consider your life in the grand theme of the Gospel. If all were to end today, would your life have been a waste? Or would it have been just the beginning of eternity with Jesus? I'll leave with these words from our Savior. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is calling you right now to cease the busyness in your life. To shut down the laptop, to put away the telephone, turn off the television, to close out a Facebook, (laughs) to come home from the party, and to hear His voice speaking to you. Listen to His voice and believe what He says. For it is the only certain thing there really is in life. Listen to Jesus and go through the door. And you know what you're going to have? You'll have the certainty of eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much again for Jesus, for the opportunity to be saved. Lord, I pray that these words fall upon all the hearts here, that the seeds are planted, that they hear what's being said that they contemplate their life in the theme of eternity. I don't want anyone here to perish. I wish all to be saved. Help us, Lord, to listen, to make time, and to believe. May we keep this day holy, Lord, and bring glory to Thy name. We praise You for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen.